For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to do things a little different. Our passage is Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. We're going to actually read it from three different translations. Um, one of the things that we believe in here at Imago is that the Spirit works in lots of different translations of the scripture, and the way that it came to us happened for a reason. So sometimes hearing how different people have interpreted the scripture gives us new insight. So this morning, we're going to, again, listen for those differences between these three different translations and uh, just be open to the Spirit and how it, things that it brings to your attention. Um, there'll be um, Pastor Melendez passing out papers that have all three verses, so you can see them on there, the different translations. So, right. No problem. So first, um, we're going to be reading it from the Common English Translation. Don't judge, so you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt to you. Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother's or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take that splinter out of your eye, when there's a big log in your eye? You deceive yourself. First, take the log out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's or sister's eye. Now I'll read the same passage from the Passion Translation. Refuse to be a critic full of bias toward others, and you will not be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard that you've used to judge others. The measurement you use on them will be used on you. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? How could you even say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong, when you're guilty of even more? You're being hypocritical and a hypocrite. First, acknowledge and deal with your own blind spots, and then you'll be capable of dealing with the blind spot of your friend. The last reading comes from the message translation. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see the smudge on your neighbor's face and to be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. For those of you that don't know, for those of you that are here, you've heard this a thousand times. I'm sorry you don't have to hear it again. But I grew up in a town, very small town, around 1,500, 2,000 people. I graduated with 55 people in my senior class in Belmont, Mississippi. Gossip was our full-time hobby. Anybody else grow up in a really small town? Yeah? Was gossip a full-time hobby? Yeah. You knew who was getting divorced, right? You knew who was about to file bankruptcy? Yeah. You knew who was an alcoholic? You knew, right? You just knew. Um, <laughs> I was thinking of some instances of, uh, of judging, and I could not help but remember a time when Colby, he's 28 now, my, he's my oldest, and he was probably about five or six, and <clears throat> there was a girl, uh, a lady, uh, that was in our church at the time, and she was probably in her early 20s. She had never had children, and she always had an opinion on how I should raise my kids. Is that not the worst? Like, what are you doing? Shut up. Can I say shut up? I just did. So anyway... This woman drove me up the wall 
And I was on the phone with somebody talking about how she had said something else again about what I should do or not do with Colby. And I was just all over the phone, right? Well, this particular lady, she worked in the pharmacy where I got my pharmacy stuff, Fred's. Fred's is long gone, I think. And so she's standing there, and I have Colby with me. And she comes to the front to say, hi, how y'all doing? And Colby goes, mom, is that the woman that you say is da 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 And I'm like, mm. <laughs> And then I'm looking at Laura, I have no idea what he's talking about. Man, I remember those times. I remember. When I was a senior in high school, I met a girl that had just transferred to our school. She was a grade behind me. Her name was Becky. And I had seen her around a little bit, but she was a bit of a loner. Um, you could tell that she came from a, a poorer economic status than some of us did. And that's another thing about being in a small town. You know what's in everybody's bank accounts, right? You know, oh, yeah, they're rich. No, they're not. Yep. Anyway, so she was different. She, uh, she didn't look like the rest of us did. And so um, at this particular time, I would, I would see her in passing. Nobody's talking to her. Nobody's engaging with her. And I just felt bad for her. So I just started talking to her a little bit. Just, but it was very brief and very casual, just enough to get my little Christian self to feeling good about myself. And um, the prom was coming up. And I, she talked to me one day. She said, I asked her, are you going to the prom? Which is a very insensitive thing for me to ask. I get, but I was 17. And she said, no, I'm not going to the prom. I, I don't have a dress. I don't have a date. And I was like, oh, well, you should come anyway. You should just come anyway. It'll be fun. So I get ready for the prom with my cute little boyfriend of two years and a cute little dress. And my hair looked cute. My makeup looked cute. Had cute shoes. Just cute, 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 cute. And we go to the prom together. And we're at the, the buffet line getting our, you know, chicken fingers. We were 17. Uh, and I feel somebody do this on my shoulder. And I turn around, and there was Becky. Her hair had not been washed. And she had on a dress that obviously came from a thrift store. And she was there with her dad. Her dad was her date. And she had the brightest smile on her face, like, look, I'm here. You wanted me to come, and I'm here. And I was like, I'm not going to brag on myself. This is a horrible story, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is horrible. I hugged her, and I said, oh, I'm so glad you're here, and probably ran in the other direction. I didn't want anybody to see me talking to her. She, she wasn't cute. She didn't look like the rest of us. God forbid. God forbid. The hypocritical part of the story is, at that particular time, Monday through Friday, every day at school, I led a morning divorce, devotion with a group of students, five days a week, a devotional thought and a prayer every day, every Monday through Friday. I could quote so many Bible verses from memory. I knew where to find Habakkuk in the Old Testament. I don't even know that Habakkuk is in the Old Testament anymore. I never missed a church service. Never. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. 
revival. Whatever was going on, myself was there. I always dressed modest, modestly like all the good girls did. I wasn't drinking or smoking, and I wasn't hanging out with people who did. I avoided those people like the plague. <laughs> I was a Christian, and God came first. Those were the standards and fundamentalism, and I had followed them to the letter of the law. My senior quote in the yearbook, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some people read. I was better than Becky. I was holier than her. And I get it. Yeah, I was 17. You probably did some, something similar, not probably, maybe not as horrendous as what I just told you. We all did crazy things and thought different crazy things about people at 17. But do we really ever grow out of this? I would like to think that we do, but I don't know that we do. Not on some level. Maybe we get a little bit wiser about those things. I'd give anything to know where Becky is today. I don't even know her last name. I wouldn't even begin to know where to start. I, w I wouldn't know. I would love to tell her I'm sorry. I was a jerk. But we don't really grow out of judging people. I've been known to judge unsheltered people, people with drug addiction, unwed mothers, people who look differently than me, people who love differently than me, people that don't raise their children like I do, people who give me their unsolicited opinion on child rearing, especially when they don't have children. Maybe that deserves a little bit of judgment. One of the commentaries that I read, the command not to judge is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus is not asking us to set aside discernment, but to renounce the presumptuousness, the ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. The idea here is that habitually finding fault in others and forgetting that we have been so generously forgiven of our faults, this goes together. And this is what Jesus is saying, this ought not be. It feels good sometimes to be hypercritical of people. People that have wronged us in particular. It assumes the worst of the person jumping on their failures towards us. And we play the mind game of, of course she meant that comment to hurt me. Of course she's out to get me. They said this, but what they really meant was this. And here's the thing. We might be right. That might be exactly what happened and what's going on. We absolutely could be right. But how do we know for sure? Maybe they are trying to hurt us. Maybe they are trying to take us down. But what if they're not? What if we've misinterpreted something? What if we've misapplied um, a motive there that's not there? But this has not been my method to treat people like this. My method involves nursing a wound, whether it's real or not, and to line up my cheerleaders to get to see my people to see this slap against me the same way. That it was hideous and evil and worthy of damnation. And I know who those cheerleaders are. I know because they never disagree with me. You know, they say, of course they meant that for evil. What a jerk. Wow. How could she have said that? Yes, you were so right to be angry. There are times where you're right to be angry and to be hurt and to be upset, but not always. 
a church that we served in in Tupelo, my ex-husband and I, we had brought on a, uh, a new staff person. And for whatever reason, he just did not do things the way I thought he ought to do things. And I had a good friend, and I would love, we'd love to get on the phone after the babies went to sleep at night and just talk about everything he did wrong because he didn't do it like we thought he should do it. And this became this twice a week, three times a week kind of a thing. It felt good. It really did to just judge, to be so critical. And one night in the middle of our conversation, I've told you before how sometimes God does the holy shut up, right? In mid-sentence, it was like, mm. and I remember sitting down on my kitchen chair and she kept going and I'm listening and I'm, I'm replaying the things that I've said in my head about this person and I'm realizing how uncharitable they are how hypercritical they are. And I told my friend, I need to stop this, and I am so sorry. And she agreed, and we never discussed him again. I don't know if you've watched Ted Lasso, but Ted Lasso is one of the greatest series on TV right now. You should watch it. But in one of the episodes, he quotes Walt, 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 Walt Whitman, who says, be curious, not judgmental. I like that. Be curious, not judgmental. I wish that I had been more curious about Mike from the beginning, and I wish that I had been more curious about Becky. A commentary that I read said, Harsh and petty fault-finding becomes a corrosive chemical that erodes relationships wherever people have to work together to achieve common goals. Do we want to find ways to be less hypercritical of people? Work with them. Invite them out to lunch. Invite them to a dinner party at your house. Get the whole and true story about this person. In this Sermon on the Mount, Christ is calling us to a higher way of being. It's not enough that we don't commit adultery. We need to even not think about the people with lust in our hearts. It's not enough not to murder anyone. Stop killing them in your head. Killing them is a bit much, I get it. But stop thinking the very worst of them all the time. Quit writing them off because you think whatever of them. Quit imagining failures happening to them. Stop it. Matthew 7, 1 through 5 is a plea to be generous with our estimations of others. But Matthew 7, 1 through 5 is not asking us to turn off our discernment antennas. A.J. Levine says, He is not saying we should become bystanders or that we should not seek justice we are not to think without, when seeing a wrong committed, it's not my job to judge, so I'm just going to let that happen. That's not what this is saying. We are to discern what is evil, what is good, what's profitable, what's not, what's the fruit of the Spirit, what's not. Am I speaking in love because I just want to be superior in my thinking? And like Corey said, we don't do this very well. We just don't speak the truth in love very well. We just don't. Christ and even Paul tells us to use discernment. We are warned to stay away from the snake oil salesmen, get-rich schemes and the people who sell them. We are warned to stay away from false teachers and false prophets and wolves. We are also warned to stay away from those who are, who are habitually divisive. We must be able to judge those scenarios in order to make that call to stay away. 
We also do not abdicate our responsibility for, pre for preventing harm. That requires discernment when we're involved in situations where we see potential harm coming towards so someone. We have to call it out. If we see someone going down a path that we know is destructive and we love them and we don't want to see this happen, whether they receive that or not is up to them. But we need to take a look at the Greek for this word judge. And this is an important point of what it means to judge in the New Testament. It's a Greek word that's krino, and it means when you boil it down, it essentially means judge, jury, sentence, executioner. That's a little bit more, of, more than what we think of of just judge, right? It's a little bit harsher. We sentence, condemn people, write them off, just like I did with, with Becky. They are condemned, locked away in a cage somewhere. We've sentenced them never to engage with again. We don't listen to them because we don't even see them. We make ourselves judge, jury, and executioner. We make ourselves God because we have forgotten how generously Christ has forgiven us. A little caveat to this because I want to be careful how this sermon lands in the hearts of some of us. Are there people who are toxic to our mental health and stability and we need to step away from? Absolutely. There are times for that. Absolutely. Are there people who continually abuse us that, need to, we, that we need to walk away from, even divorce them? Yeah, there are times. But we do it with a sense of gratitude for the mercy that we have been shown. And we show mercy to them by letting them go. We grieve it. We grieve the relationship that we just couldn't make work. We grieve that the other person was unwilling to go to a counselor or fight for this relationship. We mourn it, but we let go. Not condemning them to a life sentence in our own head of, I can't wait until something happens to you. Great, something happened to you and you deserve it. We let them go, praying the best for them and rooting, not rooting for their failure or misery. We don't sentence them. We don't condemn others. Leave them with God and you leave with God. And for those whom we have been warned to stay away from, the snake oil salesmen, the get-rich-quick schemes and, their, and those that sell them, the false teachers, the prophets, the wolves, those who are habitually divisive, we leave them. Let God deal with them. We leave them. But we do not become the one who sentences them, executes them. Leave that for God. But to, do, but to discern that this person is not good for me, yeah, discern away. Discern away. Jesus says, Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother or sister's eyes, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, Let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You deceive yourself. Jesus is telling us that we all have blind spots, that we don't see ourselves so accurately all the time. You've heard people, you've heard of this, this um, I think gaslighting or being gaslit has been around for a long, 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 long time, but it's not a, it's not a concept that I was brought up knowing about. Um, this, you know, you've heard people, you know, the thing that they're secretly guilty of is the thing that they condemn in you or judge you for or yell at you about. And speaking of gaslighting, there is a new series on stars called Gaslit, and it's the, uh, the story of Watergate. You need to watch it. It's really good. It has Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. It's really good. Anyway, 
The people who, loud, who yell the loudest against blank are the ones who are doing blank. Fill in the blank. Is that not true? Is that not true? If we are not accurately seeing ourselves, we are not going to get it right when we do need to have those hard conversations with people. When we need to have that conversation for some, with someone that we love, you're walking down a path that's going to lead to destruction, and I'm scared for you. I want better for you. We have to be accurately seeing ourselves before we have those conversations. For example, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, one that's just kind of for fun. But for example, this is very personal, very, very personal, okay? And you can laugh. It's okay to laugh. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I could stand to lose a pound or two. Go ahead and laugh. It's okay. I try to pay attention to what I'm eating, I, why, why I'm eating it, walk a little bit, etc. But I'm hit or miss at this. And for the past several years, it's been a real struggle for me. But let's say that I have a good friend that weighs more than I do. She's not in the greatest of health. Maybe she has diabetes. Maybe she has high blood pressure. And every time we go out to eat, she always orders something very fattening, like fried, all the fried, high-calorie cocktails, breads, and cheesecake, and now I'm hungry. <laughs> and she does this every time we eat out. And I do that sometimes, too, but not every time, not every single time, but enough. And so I feel that I should say to my friend, out of love and concern for her, dear Lord, she has diabetes. And all she ever eats are carbs and sugar. She needs to do better than that. What a slacker. So I confront her with gentleness and concern. What in the world? What in the world? Or even worse... You come to me needing to talk about how we go to lunch together and you confess to me that you are cheating on your taxes and you have for years. And then I quote you Bible verses about being people that keep your word and render under Caesar what is Caesar's and I talking about you can't be lying, that's wrong. And, uh, and maybe on Sunday morning I preach a whole sermon on rendering what to, to Caesar what's Caesar's. All the while I'm cheating on my own taxes or behaving in ways that are less than honest in my private life. I know countless preachers that have counseled people, that um, couples particularly, that are in, a, you know, the marriage is falling apart and there's an adulterous relationship going on and this preacher is just like, duh, stay away, get rid of da, 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 da. And that preacher's having an affair on his wife. That happens a lot, unfortunately, sadly. There are, we, Jesus is saying to us that this is not the way. We should take a hard look at our interior lives, our lives at home with family and examine that. And Am I being a hypocrite here? If I have that hard conversa conversation with you, am I being a hypocrite in some way? There are two subjects that I have never taught on nor preached on, and those would be marriage and child-rearing. Especially during my first marriage, I would have felt like such a fraud to teach on marriage or preach on marriage. I would have felt like a fraud to talk about raising kids. I could tell you what the Bible says. I could give you some examples 
but I, but I would feel like a fraud. Now, you know, I'm remarried, and so maybe I'll teach something on marriage now, but probably not. <laughs> I've learned, though, since those early years that none of us are blameless in any area, and that some of the best ways we learn is by laughing with someone at some mistakes that they have made. We learn that. We remember those examples of what not to do. And we need to hear those more from one another. We need to hear somebody say, I blew it right there. We need to hear about how others blow it. And then see how grace crept in and healed. But we have to be honest about it. We have to examine the log that is in our own eye. There are a thousand ways that I got parenting wrong. Still do on some occasions. There were a thousand ways that I got marrying wrong. I want to do it differently this time. <laughs> I'll let you know how it works out. So many ways at times that I have mistreated people, forgotten about people, judged people, gossiped about people, placed motives on people that I don't even know that they had just because I didn't want a confrontation. And that relationship suffered for it. Finally, something that I noticed in these verses for the first time is in verse 5. First, take the log out of your eye and then you'll clearly see to take the splinter out of your brother's or sister's eyes. Do you see that with me? The process of not judging includes that after we have dealt with our logs and our eyes, we are to go back and help this other person with theirs. It's not that we say, oh, I've got too much junk in my life. I could never say anything. It's not that. We are to help one another navigate the path of following Jesus. We are to help one another. This is communal. We are in this together. That this, again, there's this whole idea, this overcorrection of non-judgmentalism of hands off. That's not for me to judge. Live and let live. I'm minding my own business. That's not the kind of community that Jesus is talking about. That's not the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom of heaven says that if I'm flourishing, that I want you to as well. If I have found healing from abuse, mistreatment, neglect by others, and I want you to find healing too. If I have found freedom and healing from living in a truer Christ-centered life, then I should want that for you too. If I have found healing and being honest about who I really am and what my motivations really are, and I found healing in that, that I want you to find that too. We are in this together. That's the way it's supposed to be. This is a community. We get this so messed up in America. America is rugged individualism, right? I am the maker of my own destiny, yada, 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 yada. And it's harmed us. It's harmed us. It's harmed me. It's harmed you. It was never supposed to be that way. I don't care what the founding fathers said. As an American, I can appreciate that. But as a Christian, I have to say, no. We were supposed to be about community. Sharing one another's burdens and struggles. Sharing with one another, hey, I'm really walking through this right now and it's hard. 
if we don't want these things for one another, then maybe it's time that we need to examine and say, do I have this hypercritical spirit within me? Because that hypercritical spirit will cause a disease in us. We all have splinters. We all do. Even me. Everybody has a splinter. Some of us have multiples. And to flourish, we need them to be removed. We need to remove them. One splinter at a time. Without judgment from others. Without people being hypercritical of us. Not some know-it-all person condemning us, but from a friend who loves us. I really want to be someone who, when lovingly, kindly, graciously told that I have a splinter, that I can receive that, that I can hear that. And that's so hard. If someone genuinely cares about my flourishing, my getting unstuck, my freedom and my healing, then I should listen Take heed, course correct if needed. Be teachable, be teachable. This week we posted a, uh, a survey on Facebook needing some feedback from you guys. And um, I, I became really convinced um, a few months ago that this is something we needed to do just to hear from everyone. Where are we? Where are you? I, I wanna know. I told the leadership team when I tell you this is the last thing that I want to do, it is the very last thing that I want to do. Nobody wants to hear that stuff. The negative, nobody does. I don't want to hear it, but I need to know it. I don't need to know your name, but I do need your feedback on the survey. <laughs> it's helpful. It's a helpful tool to help us as, uh, as we try to lead this church for the leadership team, for the formation team, for the resource team, we need to know what's going on with you. How can we do better? What are my blind spots? We all have logs too. <laughs> and to flourish, we need to acknowledge those and then do the hardest work of all, remove them without condemning ourselves giving up on ourselves, punishing ourselves, but with the help from a Savior who loves us. And I pray that it would be so. Will you pray with me? God, help us to be sensitive to your Spirit moving when we need to have discernment about a situation that we not be judge, jury, sentencer, executioner, but that we discern what is good, what is not good, and that you would help us to know what to say and how to say it, help us to know when to walk away for our own health and peace, help us to be a people that are teachable and that can listen well to others and hear the concerns God, I pray that um, you would just tender our hearts to use our words carefully in whatever manner it is. That, you know, speaking that truth in love sometimes is, like Vicki said, sometimes it's just mean. God, keep us from meanness. 
revealed to us when we've gotten there so we can back off of it. God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for Imago. I thank you for the people that are here this morning and the people that are watching online. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.